we're going to jump into some stories about, about Jesus, and we're working through the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 today. If you have your journal, um, you, can, you can look there as well. If you're brand new and you don't know what the journal is, uh, if you stop by Connect Central, we want to give you one of these as well. And it's just a, a daily uh, little Bible reading and some questions to help you track along with what we're doing together on Sunday mornings. So pick up a journal and you can kind of follow along with, with where we're going. But we're looking at all these different stories. And here's what I want you to catch at the, at the front. And you'll hear me say this on a regular basis. Uh, if we miss Jesus, we miss everything, right? Because Jesus is the perfect picture of God. When, when, you, when you see Jesus and you see how he interacts with people, you're seeing in, 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 in a personal form the way that God wants to interact with you and with me. Like Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So don't miss Jesus as we approach Easter. Don't, don't miss these stories of Jesus and what he's doing. And Matthew has some very specific uh, stories that he wants us to learn from and understand God um, in, a, in a new way. Now, uh, before we jump into a couple of my favorite stories about Jesus, uh, this last week, uh, one of my friends posted a picture on Facebook. Now, I, I'm not a big Facebook guy. I used to be, and I kind of got off, and so if you, if you uh, message me on Facebook, a lot of times I just don't see them because I'm not on Facebook very much, but I made a mistake and got on Facebook this week, and... Um, uh, a friend of mine had, had posted a, a picture from, I can't remember if it was fourth or fifth grade, and it was my baseball team in fourth or fifth grade. And so it brought up some memories, and so here it is. <laughs> and uh, we were the Mets, and they, we were red and black, which makes no sense if you're a baseball fan. You're wondering, like, Mets are not red and black. They're blue, right, and, and orange, I think. And um, so this, this was us, and, and so some, some of my friends were on Facebook reminiscing, and that's, that's me, the one on the, on the bottom over here. And um, so I was kind of smiling because my youngest son, who's about the same age as I was in this picture, is playing baseball this year uh, over here at Mountain Valley Little League. And I've been kind of helping, even though I, I know little about baseball. Um, but he's about the same age, and so I was kind of reminiscing, and I showed Robin the picture. And then one of my friends commented about the picture. So we're talking about playing baseball together, and, and literally on the, the comments under the picture, someone says, what about that space between Matt Anderson's front two teeth? <laughs> now you laugh, and I cried myself to sleep. <laughs> I unfriended him for saying something so rude to me. And uh, I, I don't know if it was because of those friends, so-called friends, um, but I never played baseball after this. That was it. That was my last year. And, um, and, and it brought back, it's interesting, no matter how old you are, right, when you're reminded of being picked on or something that you didn't like about yourself, when you're reminded of it, it brings up back some pretty bad memories, doesn't it? And I remember the, the cool kids picking on me a little bit about the space between my front two teeth. And um, God invented Invisalign for those of us who <laughs> kind of fix it. I'm probably going to talk the rest of the morning like this, just so you're not looking to see the, if the space is, is, is still there. 
and um, there, there's, this, there's this thing that we all have to deal with in the world in which we live. The people who are in power, the people who have authority in this world, what will they do with it? What will they do to us with the power that they have? Uh, my third grade teacher, I remembered from this picture, uh, my third grade teacher, Miss Kelly, in front of the whole class, I think I've told you this story, um, said that uh, one morning in, in class, she said she was having a hard time finding a parking space. And she said, I, if I would have known this, there's a space between Matt's teeth, I would have just parked there. Third grade teacher. And I'll never forget it. I'll, I'll never forget it. Because she had power and authority, and she used it to hurt me. And uh, all of us, I, me probably just saying this, telling my story, some of you probably can remember some things that were said to you or done to you, maybe by a parent or a coach or a teacher or one of the cool kids at school. And what's interesting is most of the kids at school, um, they do it to deflect attention away from themselves. It's not really because, you know, of what we think it is at times. It's more because they don't want others to know really what, what's going on with them. And the same thing's true when we're adults, isn't it? Like oftentimes we want to deflect. We don't want people to see with us, and so we, we deflect it to other things. And so here we are in the stories of Jesus, and Jesus comes on the scene, and he's claiming to be uh, from God, God's son. And he's claiming uh, to, to have this authority from God. And the question becomes, does he really have authority? And does he really have power? And if he does, what will he do with it? Isn't that a great question to wrestle with? And so what Matthew does is he gives us a series of stories in the section that we're in. And all of these stories are pointing to that very question. What will Jesus do with the authority and power that he claims to have on behalf of God? And it's brilliant the way Matthew puts these, these stories together. So again, um, we're in Matthew chapter, chapter 9. And it's, it's, this story is, is a familiar one to some of us. Um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. Jesus climbed into a boat and went back across the lake to his, to his own town. And some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. Now, real quick, just to, to familiarize ourselves with the story, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this story in their accounts of Jesus. But in, in Mark and Luke, there's another little piece to the story. Um, see if you remember this from Sunday school, those of you who went to Sunday school. Do you remember the story where some men bring a, another man on a mat to Jesus, but they can't get inside the house because it's so full? And so they get up on top of the, the roof. You remember the story? And they begin just tearing it apart, um, and they lower their friend down in front of Matthew because they can't get, or in front of Jesus because they can't get close to Jesus. Well, this is that same story, but Matthew isn't concerned with the details of being on the roof and all of that. They, he wants to get to the point of what will Jesus do with his authority? And Jesus, it, twice in this story, we, he, we, we see the word authority pop up. So some people brought to him, some men bring to him on a, a paralyzed mat, man on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, be encouraged, my child. Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I want to just take a time out right here. Um, there are so many layers to this story. 
There, there are so many pieces to this story that I would love, and I know you're thankful that I'm not going to spend a ton of time like working through all the layers of it, but I'm going to nerd out a little bit because there's, there's some pieces to this story that's so important um, for us to, to notice and, and to look at. Um, number one, one of the things that jumps out at me is it says, seeing whose faith? Their faith. Isn't that interesting? Like, seeing a group of people's faith, Jesus responds by talking to one person in the middle of them. Seeing their faith. It's a collective thing going on. Now, it's interesting, too, that, that it says that Jesus can see their faith. We, we probably would never use that kind of phrase, would we? Like, seeing your faith, I, I probably wouldn't say that. You probably wouldn't say that to me. Matt, seeing your, your faith, because it's not something that we can see. We so tend to personalize faith that it's something internal and private to me. And maybe I want to give you a glimpse of it, but, but faith is, is private, so it's not something that people can see. But for Jesus, faith is something that is displayed in the way that we live. Let me say that again. If you want to know what kind of faith that you have, it's important that you not look at maybe what's always on the inside, but look at the way that you live because your life reflects the faith that you truly have. Oh, that's difficult to even think about, isn't it? Like we don't want to think on that level, like that my, my faith is always displayed in the way that I live. But Jesus, seeing their faith, what they've done, their actions, their behaviors, seeing their faith, then Jesus addresses um, this, this man. And he says, be encouraged, my child. Now, if I didn't have the rest of that verse, be, be encouraged, my child, if I didn't have the rest of that verse, I would think Jesus is going to heal him. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. He can't do anything on his own. His friends had to bring him on a mat because he couldn't walk on his own. He couldn't get to Jesus. And, and he, here he is, and Jesus says, be encouraged, my child. He's going to heal him. But no, Jesus says this, for your sins are forgiven. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, I, I think we've all probably, you know, kind of thought ahead and Jesus is going to heal him. We'll get there in a minute. But, but he doesn't start there. He starts somewhere else. Your, your sins are forgiven. Your, your sins are forgiven. Um, so many things going on in this passage. Jesus forgiving his sins, saying this to him, in some ways was disconnecting the, the idea that our condition or our, our circumstances are a reflection of our sin or our goodness. Like Jesus wants, I think, to separate those. Like in that day, people often thought that if, if they had a disease, if they were paralyzed, it was a reflection of something they had done. Like I had done something wrong. Now, we think, oh, well, that's crazy, but we do the same thing all the time. We, we do the same thing all the time, maybe not with our physical bodies, but we say things like, I've, I've wanted this job for years and years, and I've asked God, and he won't give it to me, so he must be mad at me, or maybe I did something. Have you ever thought that in your mind? I've, I've prayed for a child who maybe has gone astray for years and years, and I've prayed that they would be relieved of their addictions and set free and still they fight against it. And it must be because I've done something wrong. It must be because, you know, does God hate me because of my, cir my circumstances, my current condition? 
Are you with me? And, and I think Jesus wants to separate that concept that what we experience is a direct connection to either our goodness or our sin, because it happens on both sides. God's blessed me. He's given me a lot of money or a lot of success or houses or the people I want around me. Like, he's given me all of that, so it must mean that I'm living good. Like, I've been good enough to receive this from God. No, no, no. Like, Jesus, I think, is separating that concept, and he wants us to understand that our circumstances aren't aren't really connected necessarily to, to the way God feels about us. Are you, are you with me? Does that make sense? So he says to him, you know, your, your sins are forgiven. Like your condition has nothing to do with, with whatever sins you might have in your life. And he's going to get to his condition here in a minute. Now, a couple side notes as we're going through this. Don't we all need friends like this to bring us back to God on occasion? I know I do. Don't, don't you need, I mean, this is why community is so important. It's why it's one of our main things. We are a community following Jesus, learning to love, because we need each other. I need you. And I think from time to time, you, you need me. And, and we need each other to, 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 to put one another on that mat and, and bring one another back, t- back to God when we can't do it on our own. You know, what I, you know what I mean? And I love that about this story, that the faith of the collective group the faith of the collective group like, led this man back into relationship with God. How cool is that? You, you, you need friends like that. I need friends like that. Um, and we need to be that kind of friend. And so I would ask you, who, who in your life needs you right now? Who in your life needs you to bring them back to God? Like, pay attention to that. Pay, pay attention to the people that God puts all around. Second, second thing that, that kind of jumps out at me is this, that, that Jesus is declaring, and, he, and I think he wants us all to get this, Jesus is declaring that we are all good with God. Like, you're good with God. You're set right with God. Like, it's good. God is good with you. He shows up announcing God's kingdom, and he wants us to know God is good with you. He's good with you. And some of you need to know that this morning. No matter where you are and where you've been and what you've been up to, like God loves you. And there's nothing you could do to earn that love. Like you are loved by God. It's okay to talk in church. It's okay to smile in church when you hear that. Like you're loved by God. And your, your circumstances, your experiences, your, your direction in life, like none of that for God, like he is in love with you. And, and, and from his perspective, you're, you're good with him. When you turn back to him, he's good. When, when we return to God, he's good. He's, he's good with us. So let's get back to the story. Some of you are like, are you going to get back to the story? Okay, let's get back to the story. Here we go. Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law, people like me who were hanging around, said to themselves, that's blasphemy. What Jesus just said was blasphemy, that his sins were forgiven. Does he think he's God? Yes, but, <laughs> but, but for them, blasphemy. Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he asked them, uh, why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Now, time out again real, real, real quick. 
why is that blasphemy to the religious teachers? Like, what, what is it that stirs them up? Like, what is it that gets, after, you know, gets under their skin that they're, they're so angry about in this picture? Well, here it is. In that time, in that place, in the way that the Israelites, um, the, the people that, that God had called, the way that things worked is that everyone knew that they were sinners. They, they understood that they had things in their life that separated them from God, that created this distance between them and God, and they had a process and a system for taking care of it. Do you know, did, did you know that? There was a system and a process in place for you to get back to God, and let me tell you what it was. It was, to us, it seems ridiculous and crazy, but back in that day, it was accepted, and it was understood, and it, everything. So they they, they, they had a, an animal that either they would raise or they would buy, and they would bring it to the temple in Jerusalem, and they would stand before the priest very publicly. I mean, everybody would see this, and everybody knew, hey, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, you know I'm a sinner. Like, we all, we're in the same boat. I know in our world, we don't like to cover up our sins or our brokenness. Like, we, we let everybody see it. None of us plays the image management game around here, but, but some people do in our world. Anyway, very public thing. They would bring this animal before the priest, and they would stand before the priest. Now, super, I, I know this is kind of graphic, and just go with me just for a second. They would tell the priest, they would recite their sins, the things that, that had separated from them from God, and the priest would take a knife and slit the throat of the animal, and, and pour the blood, empty the blood onto the altar. Now, if you can imagine priests in that day, uh, they would wear white, often, often white robes or, or long garments, and it, they would begin white, but by the end of the day, they would be blood splattered, right? Bloody, I mean, uh, this was ugly. It wasn't like a pretty thing. And they would, they would slit the throat of, of, of the animal, pour it on on the altar, and then the priest would declare, you're forgiven, like God is looking over your sin. That, that was the process, that was the system that got people back to God. And I know for us it seems really strange and foreign, but for them that was just the system. It was in the Old Testament, you can go back and read and you can, you can find that. So for Jesus to show up and begin to declare that God was good with people, and as long as if they turned back to him, he was ready to accept them without going through the, the requirements to get back to God, that was blasphemy. The only thing that can get you back with God is for you to, to take the sacrifice and, and, and put it on the altar, and that would make things right with God. Now, I know we're a couple thousand years removed, but this, Jesus doing this, would have caused a gasp in the crowd. His sins are forgiven. He hasn't, he's paralyzed. He's obviously a sinner because he's paralyzed, and he can't even go make the offering before God. There is no way his sins are forgiven. Are you with me? So for Jesus to declare this is blasphemy. So they go after Jesus. You know, they've got this stuff going on. And it's why eventually Jesus was put to death. Because he was doing stuff like this that was stirring them up. Now, the story continues. 
Why do you have such evil thoughts in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? Now, let me just ask you, which is easier? Is it for me to just declare your sins are forgiven or for me to actually heal someone in this room who's got a broken body? Which is easier? It's not a trick question. Sins are forgiven. Yes. So much easier. Any crazy person can run around saying that kind of thing. Any crazy person, we've seen it in our lifetime. Crazy people who declared that they were from God and told other people they needed to do certain things because God had told them that, right? And people do that. I mean, it's easy to do that. But Jesus says, not only do I have the authority to declare you're good with God, I have power from God. And so that's what he does. He says, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority, there's that authority word, on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. Whoa. He, he has, not just does he have authority, he claims to have authority, he has power. And it happens. And for some of us, we're skeptical, you know? I know how some of you think. Really? Really? But listen, the man jumped up and he went home. Now, the same thing happened here that would happen among us. Fear swept through the crowd. Some of your Bibles might say awe. But it's like that. Oh, my gosh. Like, I cannot believe what I just saw. Fear swept through the crowd. Look at the response. And they praised God for sending a man with such great authority. Like, when when they realized the authority and power of God and what God does with it, declares that we're good with God. Isn't that awesome that God would do that? Not that you have to work through the system, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops, but Jesus says, no, no, you're good with God. Like, he's good with you. Like, how awesome is that? And it drove them to worship. And it's one of the reasons I I love worship every Sunday morning in this place is because we should be driven to worship by the goodness of God. Like his goodness and his grace declaring that we're good even though we don't deserve it, even though we haven't earned it, even though we haven't jumped through the hoops. I haven't done the sacrifice thing. I haven't given enough money. I haven't learned enough Bible verses. Like I don't have enough in me. So I worship because God is good enough. I'm not. And so that's why we turn our hearts and our minds back toward God to remember he is so good and loving and graceful and all of that wrapped up. And I can't finish the story yet. Are you with me still? Are you with, can we go just a couple more? Because I love this next story because the guy's name's Matthew. And so it's one of my favorite stories. So, so this, this scene happens where Jesus does this and people are amazed and they worship God. And so Jesus then... He, takes off and he's walking along and he sees a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth and he says, follow me and be my disciple, uh, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him, which is crazy to me that Jesus would just say to the man, hey, come follow me. And the guy would just drop every, Matthew, he drops everything he's doing to follow Jesus. That's crazy, but it's awesome. So he does. But that's not the end of the story. Later, I love this. You guys know that I love these parts. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home at a dinner party. At a dinner party with a lot of tax collectors and other sinners. I love how they connect connect tax collectors with sinners. (laughs) Don't you love that? Like I highlight that in the Bible. Every tax season, tax collectors, sinners. 
Now, let me tell you why they do that in, in that, that day and age. is because tax collectors in that day, tax collectors could use the authority they had been given by the Roman government to cheat and steal from people because they had this, this uh, extra little bit of power so they could manipulate things and then they would line their pockets with what was given, right? And so, you know, it's not a thing where we just say, hey, all tax collectors are terrible and all that. No, it, it was in that day and age, a tax collector was notoriously a cheat, a liar, and a thief. That's what they did. That was part of their job, and everybody knew it, and there was nothing anybody could do about it. They lined their pockets, and they, they split some of those profits with the, the governors to make it all, make it all good. So that, that's what was going on. So all these tax collectors and, and sinners and in some uh, other parts of the Bible, when it says that Jesus gets together with people like this, there's prostitutes there. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and when the disciples saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Well, that's nice. <laughs> Again, th- these, are, these are sinners. They're scum. Why would, why would Jesus, claiming to be from God, eat with them? Well, we know now, don't we? Because they're good with God. Like, because of what Jesus is about to do, God declares that they're good. So when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I love that line. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And in my mind, as I read that, I think to myself, does that mean there's some of us who are healthy and some who are sick? Is that what Jesus is saying, that, that there's some people in this world? Did Jesus come for just a, a, a certain group of people, but not, not everybody? Like, I, I don't know. And so Jesus continues. So don't, don't yet think, don't, don't get locked into that thinking that there's some healthy and some sick, and so Jesus is only coming for a certain group. He continues, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want, to show, I want you to show mercy, not offer, what's that next word? Sacrifices. Remember the sacrificial system that we just talked about. With the, the God is saying, I, I actually don't want you to do that. I want you to show others the same mercy that I'm about to show you. Okay, let me say that again. Make sure you're with me. God is saying, I, I, don't, I don't want you just to do this whole sacrificial system because it means nothing to you. I want you to understand the grace and mercy and love I have for you. And if you're a part of my kingdom, I want you to share that with everyone you can. How awesome is that? That's God's kingdom. That's what he wants us to be a part of. Not like like holding people to some strict thing that we can't even ourselves live up to, but rather to show grace and mercy and love to everyone, no matter where they are and, and what they've been. And so he says, for I have come... To call Now, here's the delineation of that last statement he made. Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Man, what a story. I've come not to call those who think they are righteous, but those who are well aware that they are sinners. Their condition. So what does this mean for us? Well, I'm not going to try to define that for each of you. But I hope there's some things like spinning around in your head and your heart right now. Number one, I hope you hear that you are good with God. Like there's no systematic way of getting right with God that through Christ, God declares that he's good with you. 
So turn back to him. Like, don't be afraid of him. You might be afraid of Facebook and what others say, <laughs> like me. But don't be afraid of God. He declares that you're good based on, on Jesus, which is awesome. I, I hope you're thinking, like who, like, who in my life do I need to bring back to God? Like, who is there that God's put around me that, that kind of isn't sure about God or thinks God's angry or whatever it is? Like, like who is that? And, and what can I do to help, you know, put them on a mat and bring them back to to God. And then the, the last thing um, that, that I hope we all wrestle with is, am, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself about my weakness, my sin, my pain? And I, am, am I opening up completely with God about that? Am I, am I, am I being transparent before him? Or do I think I've been good enough? You know what I mean? Like, do I think I've been good enough? Like, I, I, um, you know, I, I grew up um, as, as the, the, the goody two-shoes kid, you know? I, I grew up as, as the kid who, uh, for, for me, authority I, I took it seriously, and, and those who were in authority above me, I, I did what they said. Uh, many of you, for those who were in authority above you, you did everything you could to rail against that authority. <laughs> I mean, our country was, was founded on this, don't, don't tread on me, you know, like, we're free, like, no authority over us, you know, like... So there, there's some of that just within the makeup of, of who we are. Um, some of us accept authority. Some of us can't stand others with authority. We want it, but we don't want others to have it. I grew up in many ways thinking I was good enough for God because I followed the rules. I wasn't like the... the you know, Jesus told the story about the two, the, the father with the two sons, and one of them went crazy and went and spent all his money and prostitutes and parties and all that. I never rebelled like that. I was, I did what I was supposed to do. And so I grew up thinking I was good enough. Jesus died for me. Okay. Awesome. I've been pretty good. At some point, I realized just how far I had wandered from that love and grace, the Heavenly Father, and been honest about, it doesn't matter how far you run, all of us are separated from Him. And some of you in this room, you've grown up in church and you've been doing the right things at the right times as people have told you and you've followed exactly to the T what's in this book. And maybe you've convinced yourself that you're good enough. And sure, Jesus died for somebody, but he didn't have to die for you. You might even ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? Can't we just follow the rules? Any other ones on the Enneagram? Right? You and I need God's grace. And without Jesus, we're not good with God. And so I hope, you, I hope 
all of us, whether we're, the, we're the, the ones who have always done the right thing or those who are crazy rebels, I hope we realize just how much we need God to declare that we're good with him.